world, and welcome back to another episode of the Let's Talk Audio Podcast. Woohoo! So, on today's episode, this is going to be part two of the Tim Weaver episode. If you have not listened to the first one, you should go listen to that, either before or after this episode. It really does not quite matter, just as long as you listen to both. <laughs> so, without further ado, we're just going to jump right on into this episode. I have people come up to me and ask me how to get into the industry or whatever. Fewer and fewer every year. I don't know what's going on with the the youngest generation right now or the whatever generation it is. The Z. They're Gen Z. Z. Yeah, it's not millennials anymore. Like every generation that comes up, fewer and fewer people are asking about how do I do what you do? I used to get it a lot and now I don't get it hardly at all. And part of that may be because I'm now in a church. I'm, I've got a church gig now full time, but I still get out there and mix on the weekends. I mix bands on the weekends. You know, I'm doing maybe 20 gigs a year outside of the church. So I'm still out there in clubs and stuff, but I, nobody's asking anymore. But I will say to those that are I mean, clearly you're listening to this podcast, so you're interested in some way. If you want to get a job in this industry, the simplest and best way to do it is to be reliable. You don't necessarily have to have all the skills that you need right away because nobody's going to have that. You're going to have to learn. But the only way to learn is to get your hands on bigger and better equipment. Churches are a fantastic place, by the way, to do this. Nobody can see this, but I'm sitting in a, a soundproofed booth. It's a, a little bigger than a broom closet, but it's our broadcast studio at this church. I've got a Yamaha CL5 in front of me. I've got a, a DSP host computer to run plugins on the CL5. And I've got a iMac sitting here that I record with. The whole rig in this church is run on Dante. We've got three CL5s in this one facility alone mains or front of house monitors and broadcast so three desks i thought the mains was a cl3 Mm -mm. no they're all now so what you're thinking is i used to have a cl1 on monitors one that's what it was i had a cl1 on monitors but i ran out i ran into a channel limitation with that so i had to bump it up to a cl5 i had the cl5 available it was just another venue i swapped them out so the youth now has a cl1 and there are three CL5s in here. Yeah, because I was like, the youth had a CL5. I remember that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I had the bigger desk in the youth room just so I could have more faders. They don't really need the channels, but I like having the bigger fader count. But we ran into the CL1, I think, can only do 48 channels, I think, total. And we, we ran over that. So I had to bump it up to a five in the monitor desk. In this room, I'll come back to what we were talking about a second ago. In this room... We're running Dante. We're running three CL5s. I run broadcast. I have a guy downstairs that runs front of house. And the monitor desk, you can't even see the stage from where the monitor desk is. The the band controls it with their apps. And my front of house guy kind of rides herd on that and has an iPad if they need help. Back to 
if you want to get into this business. Churches are a fantastic place to learn this stuff. Churches are also fantastic about telling you not to touch anything. So you have to find the right church that will let you experiment with stuff if they're good about it, you know? If you want to get into this industry, churches are a great way, but a lot of churches do not let you really have open time with the gear because they're afraid of somebody messing it up. They can't, they personally don't know enough to get it back to normal. So they don't want anybody to touch it. Okay. Don't go to that church. Go to some place where there's an old road dog like me that's running the place that I will turn you loose on it. And if you, if you're really that interested, I've got multi-tracks of the band and the whole thing. I will run the multi-track back to the console and just let you mix all day long if you want to. Uh, Phil is asking about the audio interface that I'm using right now to talk to you because I stole it out of his room. <laughs> I was like, where did it go? Yeah. Instead of using all of this fancy like Yamaha stuff with the Dante and everything, that's kind of a routing nightmare. So I just, I grabbed my boss's uh, Focusrite little two channel unit and I plugged it in my laptop. So that's what I'm using. <laughs> Smooth him. He's like fancy stuff. No, nah, I'm going to use this little basic box. It's fine. I got a quarter million dollars worth of gear here sitting here I could use, but no, I'm using this hundred dollar focus, right? Box, which by the way, people, you didn't know until I told you. So <laughs> ultimate quality. This is a myth, you know, good enough. Quality is good enough. So I'm using the Focusrite, whatever it is, two-channel interface, the cheap one. And I'm using an Audio-Technica 4040, which is a, actually a really good mic. Good budget mic. Yeah, Audio-Technica 4040 is a great little mic. It's 300 bucks, but it's a, it's a legit large diaphragm condenser. It's not a multipolar pattern. It's just a cardioid mic, but it is like super flat, super detailed. It doesn't have any hype to it or anything like that. It is an excellent, excellent mic for 300 bucks. I don't know. I'm chilling with this pod mic in my world, you know? No, it sounds great. Yeah. My pod mic is everything. I'd be like, yes, thanks. And I, I would be using a 58 otherwise if I didn't just have this available at work, you know? Well, this isn't necessarily the nicest mic we own because before I got here, the guy that was buying equipment bought like some crazy stuff. But honestly, that stuff doesn't even exist here at the church. The musicians take it home and use it to record themselves at home. We have some kind of crazy tube mic. We have a fancy tube condenser. We have a really nice ribbon mic. A couple other things. But no, these 4040s are like I use them all the time for horns or different stuff. Bluegrass stuff, whatever. What was I saying? Getting into the industry. The number one thing, if you go to a sound company or a special events venue or whatever it is the number one thing that will keep them calling you is reliability if you show up on time or early and you stay till the job is done and you don't complain about having to sweep the truck out because you know this isn't sound and you, whatever it is being there being reliable being someone that they know they can count on for all things means they will count on you for all things. When it when it happens, they're going to have an event show up and the sound guy's not going to, he's going to be booked somewhere else and they're going to give it to you. And 
then it just it snowballs. That's that's what happens. You know, go go to the local sound provider. Say you want to start working for them. And if you make yourself available, now be careful because you can get abused in that situation. This particular job is one we frequently work 12 plus hour days. We frequently work so much that we don't get lunches or dinners or even time to sit down hardly at all. You have to audition the sound company or you have to audition the company you want to work for because some people will just work you to death for no good reason because that's just the ethos of that company. They're not singling you out. That's just the ethos of that company. It's just a bad place to work for, okay? But if you do find a place that seems decent, some place that will teach you some stuff, some place that will let you get your hands on gear, the only thing that you've got to do to be good is to be a good hang, be cool, and show up. That's it. That's all there is to it. I've hired people for my business when I had it going that just completely ditched on a show. And guess what? They don't get calls back after, you know. I've I've hired people that would show up consistently but weren't very good at their job, but they were they would show up consistently. They would unload the truck. They would, you know, do the show. They would load the truck back up at night. They would make sure everything was good and buttoned up tight, make sure the trailer doors were locked, the whole nine yards. They were looking out for me and my equipment. They may not have been a very good mix engineer or whatever it is, but I kept calling those people back because I knew that if I called them and said, hey, you need to be at so-and-so at so-and-so time, they would be there. They'd be there. They would get the job done and they would pack it up and stuff wouldn't be missing at the end of the night. That's what you've got to be. You don't have to have all the skills. You've just got to be reliable. Okay. That's it. That's how to get a job in this industry. And this is one of those industries where there's not a lot of jobs to go around. It's, you know, it's a small amount of actual jobs for the, used to be a lot of people wanted to do it. Now, not so much. In fact, there's a huge shortage of sound engineers right now, live sound engineers, huge shortage. COVID, when the COVID shutdown happened, everybody went and got different jobs or either went home, lived with their parents, or they went out to Kinko's and started making copies. Whatever it was, they quit this industry and they haven't come back. Kinko's doesn't even exist anymore. Well, I... You get I'm the, sorry. I know your point. I'm sorry. You I'm get sorry. the gist was, of what I'm saying. You said Kinko's, and I was like, that's not even a thing. What did they start like, doing? Selling fax machines? I don't know. What's, I don't know. what's the next thing? <laughs> I was like, I was like, then they're really out of a job if they want to go work at Kinko's. Look, I've, <laughs> I've been paging these people over and over again, and I'm not getting any response. <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> that's like saying, oh, you know, they all went and got jobs at blockbuster you know like oh you mean that business that went out of business that doesn't exist anymore okay yeah blockbuster so funny i'm sorry i'm sorry you were on a point and i just i lost it with the kinkos (laughs) (laughs) yeah but no right now there's a huge vacuum there's a huge need for sound engineers uh maybe not I, i won't say sound engineers there's a huge need for production people people that want to come out and work gigs it could be just, you know, driving a truck and unloading and unloading, but, you know, hang out and watch a show. 
could be people that want to learn how to do sound or lights or pyro or whatever it is. Pyro and lasers are another thing that's um, another boss thing. Hang on a second. I stole his interface because I was, you know, 99% sure he wasn't going to be shooting any videos today, but evidently he's got a video to shoot. My boss does all of our video production stuff here in house. He shoots the commercials and whatnot. And I bought him this little interface to use for those things. And, uh, evidently he's shooting a video. So, um, do you need to go? No, 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 no. He's fine. He's, he's using another, he's got some, uh, wireless lapel mics that he can also use. And he said he was going to use one of those. So I'm good. Good to go. I was like, uh, I don't want to like, you know, you know, it's really interesting because we, we landed on this topic and it was actually one of my topics that I wanted to talk about. So I'm, I'm kind of glad that we did, which is sort of the state of the world of audio. That's what I, that's what I coined it. That was my overarching title, the state of the world of audio. I think that's what I named this podcast episode, the state of the world of audio. Cause I like it. It sounds great. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to break this wall. Jeffrey, I think I want to use this as a title. Okay. So just, just make that a thing. Thanks. Also known as I got a job at Blockbuster. <laughs> or I got a job at Kinkos. Kinkos yeah. <laughs> One of the two. Either it's the state of the world of audio or it's I got a job at Kinkos. <laughs> the pandemic happened and I got a job at Kinkos. Yeah. So Jeffrey is my, my editor and show note writer. So cool. What's up, Jeff? Probably doesn't like being called Jeff, does he? It's Jeffrey. He does. He goes okay. by Jeff. Good I'm deal. the only one who calls him Jeffrey. He's okay. like, it doesn't matter. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm calling you Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just, I just declared it one day. No, I got really bad about editing myself and I would cut out too much stuff. And it was like stuff that I thought people would take the wrong way or I thought was too rambly or like whatever. And next thing you know, like these like two hour episodes became like 30 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, that's probably not the best way to go. So I realized I needed somebody else to help me with that. And so he edits the podcast, but then I, do all the other stuff, the mixing, mastering, all that stuff. So awesome. Yeah. And then he writes show notes because again, we talked about this trash at writing English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think it's really cool because I, I feel like a lot of people talk about the world of audio. And to me, it, it's really interesting that you're saying that there's like this shortage of like people or that there's less people talking to you about it. And maybe this is just because of the world, the digital world that we live in. You know, you go on YouTube and there's all these people telling you how to do insert audio thing, right? Here's how to do compression. Here's how to do whatever, you know, here's how to record or do streaming or, and all these sort of different things. And so I wonder if maybe that's sort of one of the reasons why maybe like in person people might not be approaching you or others as much. Yeah, I'm sure. But then I also wonder if maybe it's because they don't feel like networking with that group of people is necessary anymore because there's so much online aspects to being a sound engineer. I wouldn't be surprised at all if both of those things are correct. However, on the flip side of that coin, I get calls weekly wanting to know if I can go do a gig or do I know anybody that's available to go do gigs right now. So there are gigs out there and not enough 
sound guys to go do them. Now, when I say gigs, some of this is like a band that needs a guy that wants to travel. Some of this is, and these are smaller bands, but you know, or some of it is there's a restaurant bar and grill type place here in Conroe that the guy that has the PA in that room called me and I told him I couldn't do it. And I gave him my front of house guys number, Matt downstairs and Matt's been doing it. But the idea was to have like four or five people and do a rotation, but Matt's the only one he's got and Matt's doing all the gigs and it's killing because Matt has a full-time job in Houston and then he gets off of that, goes over to this bar and grill job, does two or three shows a night, uh, a week there, and then has to wake up early to come to Sunday morning service here for me. And it's like, he's just worn out. And it's because there's not the four or five guy rotation. There's the one guy rotation that, you know, I hooked him up with this gig. That particular one is a pretty good paying gig too. It's like, it's not bad at all. So. In the wild, I just don't see people out there. They're not, they're not available. At least they're not on my network. This might be different in Austin or someplace like that. But truthfully, I hear the same thing out of my friends in Austin. There were a lot of guys who were out with bands pre COVID. And then post COVID, when touring came back, the, the band engineers, the, the shops that are in Austin, like the big sound shops, had nobody working there because all those band engineers wanted to get back out on the road because, let's face it, it's fun. For the right kind of person, it's a lot of fun. I loved it. But the shops started throwing huge amounts of money at these band engineers to get them to come and work at the shop because they had nobody working. So it's there's not enough engineers for both touring bands and shops to use right now. Um, and I still hear that through the grapevine that that's still the case. So yeah, maybe there's somebody at home watching YouTube videos, learning a lot about how to side chain, a side chain your bass compressor to your kick channel, but out there in the wild, there's no, there's no warm bodies to fill those spots. It's real bad right now. Part of that is because this industry as a whole on this level you know, when you're talking about club gigs or whatever, the hours are terrible and the pay is low. It just is. I fought through it for many, many years. I fought through it twice, honestly. I, I started out in that world and I got better and better and got bigger and bigger gigs. And then I, I worked at A&M for eight years. And when I quit A&M, I started right back at 2008. At Right after I quit A&M, my first bar gig was for 75 bucks a night. And you know, I didn't want it, but like, I was like desperate for a job. And it very quickly, just over the course of that summer, it very quickly ended up with me owning my own sound company because that particular bar was doing bigger and bigger events all the time. It started out as just like an acoustic guy with a microphone uh, for 75 bucks a night. And then they started booking bigger and bigger bands and they didn't have the equipment to do it. And so I was like, well, you know, I'm looking around, I've got a few microphones and cables and a couple of things. And I started renting to them and then I would buy more stuff to rent to them. And then I'd buy more stuff to rent to them. And it was an outdoor outside venue in, in Texas. And so when summer was over, they shut down. Like when the seasons 
when it's too cold to sit outside, they shut down. So then I've got a pile of equipment and I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> I gotta make, I gotta make those payments. So I started my own sound company that way. And I did that for a few years. I wasn't very good at it. If I had another piece of advice for anybody wanting to do anything really doesn't apply to sound, but anything, take business classes. At least go to community college, get two years in, take business classes, business, 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 business classes, because that will help you in anything you want to do in life forever. It really will teach you about taxes, teach you about pricing yourself, teach you about total costs involved in doing what you do. And those were all the things I was missing with my business. Um, I eventually just shut it down. Sold off all my junk, went on the road with bands. That was it, which was a huge relief. I enjoyed that immensely more than trying to, you know, figure out how much I needed to pay my quarterly taxes. So that was. <laughs> you don't just love trying to figure out quarterly taxes? You don't love that? You don't love that? I think sometimes, I think this kind of comes back to an idea that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And that is sort of this entrepreneurship versus nine to five mentality. And right now everyone is like, like the world in general is just like, go be an entrepreneur, especially for people who are minorities, right? Everybody's like, go start a business, start a business, become an entrepreneur, go into real estate or whatever, you know, like, like those are all the things that everybody says. And nobody really talks about one, how hard that is, how hard that world is in and of itself. But then secondly, they don't talk about that being nine to five is okay for certain types of people. Some people, it is great for them to be a nine to fiver. For some people, it's great for them to be entrepreneurs. It just kind of, it only really works if that fits who you are as a person. And I think sometimes that like people don't, take that into consideration. And so they feel like the only way to be a sound engineer is to be freelance. They feel like the only way to be a sound engineer is to be an entrepreneur of some sort and not realizing that they can be great sound engineers or production people by doing the nine to five route, by doing the corporate route, you know, and, and then that's okay as well. Yeah. Matt downstairs, my front of house guy here at the church, I hire him every Sunday. He's a, it's a contract gig, but he's here every Sunday and he has a nine to five job in a, in a sound adjacent field. He, he works for a company called Ford AV. So he's an AV guy. He's a, he's a corporate AV guy is what he does. He's dealing with computers and, and, uh, meeting like, you know, online meeting stuff and, and virtual, you know, you know, all that stuff that I don't understand. He works at one of the big oil companies in downtown Houston. They have two big skyscraper towers. He works in one of them. And him and another guy are the AV staff for that whole tower. They're contracted through Ford AV, who Matt actually works for. But he goes to work in this oil company's skyscraper and make sure all the meeting rooms are working. Make sure, you know, if they've got a, a, a meeting scheduled at so-and-so that that particular room is set up. And he does that. Yeah, it's a nine to five job for him. Uh, he does that through the week, gets off there. He goes and does a gig or two on, you know, Thursday or Friday night, 
at this other place. And he's got several other like little gigs that he does here and there as well. And then I hire him on Sunday morning to come in here and mix front of house for everybody downstairs. So yeah, you can, you can have a day job and be a legit sound guy. Matt is a legit sound guy. He gets calls from all over the place and all over kind of people and he's good at it. He's not going to give up his day job because, you know, he doesn't want to. Well, I think that, I mean, I'm speaking for him, but I'm pretty certain that if he could make a legit living doing gigs, he would. But unfortunately, just the world we live in, there's only a small handful of people that make a legit living doing gigs. I make an okay living here at the church, but I don't really gig per se. I mix the, I mix the same music, you know, every Sunday, Monday night. And then for Wednesday night, we have youth. I mix three times a week and hate to say it. It's, you know, it's a little boring because it's kind of the, it's just, Worship music's great for people that need it, and we have a lot of people that need it, and it's, you know, they get down with it, but for me, it's boring music, just in general. It's not what I get into. So, for me, it's kind of a J-O-B, but I make a decent living here, so I'm sticking with it. I mix three times a week. The rest of the week, I'm doing maintenance, I'm doing meetings, I'm hanging lights. I've got a light that's broken right now on the main stage, you need to bust out a ladder and go up there and get it and figure out what's wrong but it's just it's just general type maintenance work you know in the in the av field so i can't say that i make a living gigging doing this because i do have that eight to five job here at the church my eight to five job includes mixing duties as well and so that's kind of fun but in a case like matt he's got an eight to five job which is production adjacent, you know, it's mostly computers and meeting type stuff, virtual meeting stuff. He does that and then he gets off of that work and then he makes a very, very healthy extra income. He's essentially working two jobs, you know, he is, but he's young, he's married, but got no kids yet, but you know, he's got the ability to do so. So there you go. Me at, at 975 years old, I, don't feel like I want to do two jobs like that, especially when one of those jobs happens till two or three in the morning. I could do gigs if I was only doing gigs, but I can't do gigs plus the nine to five. That's a young person's game. I need sleep because I'm old. <laughs> have I met Matt? I don't think you have. Because Matt didn't used to be downstairs. No, we had Scott before Scott. Scott, that's who I met. Scott was retired from LD Systems in Houston. And Scott was an older gentleman that was fantastic. Loved him. But he he was already retired and doing this as like his retirement gig. And then at a certain point, probably a year ago or so, a church that is literally behind his house had a position open up. And he decided to move over there and do everything for them there. It's so close for him. He literally, he cut a hole in his back fence and put a gate in. And so he walks out of his back door with a cup of coffee 
goes through his gate and he's at work. Look, ain't he living the dream? <laughs> I know. Living I, the dream. I can't fault Scott for uh, leaving us to go there at, in any way, shape or form. And so, you know, once Scott left, I, uh, I hired Matt. I had known Matt for a little while. Matt actually is from this area originally. So he was already familiar with the church and a bunch of the people in it. I didn't know that at the time when I reached out to him, but he's like, oh yeah, I've, I've know all those people. I'm like, okay, then. Well, you're going to come to work. So, there you go. Yeah. I met Matt at A&M. He was working for uh, Reed Arena over there at A&M at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> Craziness. Man, that is crazy. What else do you want to get into? You know what I want to know? Yeah. Tell me. How you just trust Chance the first time you meet him with like that whole situation. He told me that story, by the way, when I interviewed him. Cause I mean, he had kind of told me like a light version of it. And I think you had mentioned it like in passing, but I didn't know the full depth of this story until recently. And I was like, wait, he did what? Just let, just out here in this, like what? So I want to know how that came about. Cause you didn't know him. No, I didn't, but. Oh, probably we should tell the story right quick. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, recap. <laughs> so here, the recap of the story as I know it. So you can tell me if I'm wrong in, in any of my knowledge, but basically you had a gig, you needed somebody to cover. And so you were introduced to chance somehow. I don't know how, but whatever. And then you. Basically told him, hey, there's going to be this truck with a trailer that has all this gear in it. Go set it up. And then uh, you're going to get the money. Take this amount and then leave the rest of it in the trailer. And then uh, I'll come by and get it later and just leave it. Basically, yeah. Basically. basically that's basically that's what it. I got out of that story, okay? How are you just trusting folks like that? Like, well, <laughs> And then like to leave the money in the back of a trailer? Come ag- on. Again... I'm an old person and I grew up in the deep South in the deep South. Sometimes you would run across like uh, you'd run across somebody's family farm and they'd have like four tomatoes and a dozen eggs and a couple of zucchinis out by their mailbox with a little shoebox saying, you know, uh, eggs or eggs are a dime and tomatoes are 25 cents or whatever it is. Just leave the money in the box. That was common. You know, uh, that's the way I grew up. If you needed some eggs, you might go down to Mrs. Brown's house and get, uh, you know, a half dozen eggs and, and leave her 50 cents or 60 cents, whatever it is, and and uh, go back home. With Chance, I put an ad on Craigslist looking for somebody. No, seriously, looking for some, I, the ad read something like, are you interested in audio or, you know, concert, sound, whatever. I forget what it is, production, whatever. If you're interested, don't know where to get started, contact me. I need I need labor, but you can learn how to do this or that, the other. Zach Castillo, I don't know if you've ever heard or know Zach. Zach answered that ad. At the time, Chance and Zach were in a band together, playing music together. Yeah, the Chasing Lions. Yes. Yeah. So Zach became one of my regular guys to do gigs with. Now, the first time I met Zach, I had him come out on a small install job with me and he helped me do some work with his install. So I kind of got a feeling of, you know, what 
he knew and what he didn't know and like how good. And that was a situation where he didn't know a lot, but he was super eager to learn and he was very trustworthy. He would show up on time and, and go the extra mile essentially. Cool. Great guy. Great guy. He's now, he's working at a church. Last I heard he was doing like video stuff for a church in Bryan college station. Anyways, I asked Zach, Hey, who else do you know that might want to do this same kind of thing? And he recommended chance and told me about, you know, how much he thought chance knew and this, that, and the other. And I, I think I talked to chance on the phone before the gig happened, but I never actually met him. I just, I got a recommendation from Zach. I called chance and said, here's the deal. There's the truck. There's the keys put the cash in the back, take out what you're owed. There you go. Go have fun. That's it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. Like that's the story is so crazy. People don't do that. I guess, I guess that's, that's, that's the thing is that that's not normal, right? Like people aren't out here just being like, it's probably not normal. That's <laughs> probably not normal. <laughs> I really don't know what's normal anyways. What is normal? What is normal anyways? But I'm just saying, like, people aren't out here, like, being that trustworthy. I mean, I don't know. Like, don't you, don't, do you not feel like... People used to be. People used to be that trustworthy. Okay, maybe they were. Trusting, maybe they were. I don't whatever. Trusting. Yeah. But don't you... I mean, have you not come to a point in life, though, where, I don't know, people have screwed you over in that regard? So it makes you have, I don't know, a little bit more reserves or have some sort of, like barrier to entry before you get to that point with humans? I have been screwed over, but I will say I have been pleasantly surprised way more than I've been screwed over. And I think part of that is because I'm placing my trust in a person and that person is responsible for their own, their own stature in life at that point. I'm not hiring a person and say, you are a burger flipper and you will flip burgers. You know, I hired chance and I said, Hey, go handle that gig. And he handled that gig. Was it great? I don't know. Probably not, but he handled it. Then really, I didn't, I didn't receive any complaints. I didn't receive any glowing reviews, but I didn't receive any complaints. But like, all I know is at the end of the day, client was happy. Money was in the back of the trailer. The truck was back home. Done. You know, everything was done. Everything that I asked him to do, he did. And I've been, I mean, the same thing with you. I, I didn't meet you before I sent you off to do, you know, one of the biggest gigs that I had, you know, in my business time when I was open. I just had a recommendation from Chance. And I already knew Chance was a solid dude, you know. So if he said you were solid, I was going to believe the solid dude that I knew saying that you were solid and I'm going to send you out and go do a show. There you go. So I, I have been, I thought that was crazy too, by the way, <laughs> like getting that phone call. Hey, can you be by the way, somewhere in like an hour right quick? Like, wait, what? I'm sorry. Huh? I'm still <laughs> sleeping. What are you talking about? Like that was like, that was insane. And then the fact that I never met you until like I went to Montgomery that time to do sound. Yeah, for I'm those like, for those that don't know, uh, you were living in Austin at the time, and I live in College Station, which is a hundred miles away. Tangela and I never really met until 
I got this current job at the church and I hired her to come in and, and do some stuff for me here at the church when, whenever somebody needed off. So yeah, we only talked on the phone basically phone or text or whatever. Phone people. Yeah. Phone people. Which I also thought was pretty crazy. I mean, I'm not like hating on it. I just think it's a very unique quality that a lot of people probably would have strong reservations about doing even now, even trying to like attempt something like that. Let me, let me say this. Okay. About being burned in this little, uh, you know, in my, Take business classes, folks, because you'll learn to not hire people like this, okay? It's worked for me, mostly, but I got a recommendation by Zach for Chance, and Chance worked out. And I got a recommendation for you from Chance, and you worked out. Anytime that I asked somebody that I knew and trusted and had built a relationship, hey, who else can I use? Those situations always worked out like I hired this one kid one time that when I was touring with a band I bought a pretty good sized lighting rig and the guy that I was touring with wanted to add lights to the show and I'm like okay I'll put together a lighting package and we'll take it on this first run and we'll try it out whatever at the time I didn't know a ton about programming lights and making a good light show I could do it. I was really bad at it. So I started asking around and I found this kid. I can't even remember how I found him, but I found this kid unrecommended. I just found him. Right. And he told me all kinds of stuff about all the things he could do with lighting. Like he sounded legit. He sounded like he knew what he was talking about. So I hired him. And part of the deal was I had a, it was a minivan at the time um, that we took all the seats out of and I packed it full of lights. And I said, you are going to drive the van from gig to gig to gig. I paid for hotel rooms. I paid for gas. I provided the van. I did everything, but it's like, you need to drive it because we can't fit it in the van trailer. It doesn't fit, right? This is a, this is a trial run. This is our first time trying out taking lights with us. So I, set everything up, got him hotel rooms, got everything. He drove the van from gig to gig to gig. I think it was a three gig weekend. And it was a pretty, pretty far drive. We didn't go out of state, but it's still pretty, I mean, Texas is huge. So it's pretty far driving. He did the driving. Okay. But when we got to the gigs, it was pretty quickly obvious. He didn't really know everything that he was telling me. He knew he was not very good. So that kind of burned me a little bit. We got through the shows and he managed to put on some kind of light show. It wasn't very good, but he did do a light show. It was okay. But yeah, I never, I never used that guy again because like he talked himself up to a certain point that he clearly, he didn't know everything that he was telling me he knew, which was a, a huge pain for me at the time because I was responsible for audio on that gig. Like I, when we get to a show, we load in, I handle audio things and I needed somebody to handle the lighting things because that's an extra workload on me. I ended up having to help him get lighting up. Oh shit. <laughs> so. Okay. So I dropped out for like a second yeah, and it stopped recording. 
Okay. No, that's good. I see it's, I see something recording now. Now it's recording seconds. now. It was, re- it was doing that earlier. So you didn't lose everything. Shoot. No, I just lost from when I dropped out just now. So that's the top of your story, basically about. Okay. The worst yeah. gig. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, uh, that's fine. I could go through it again. I, I was just recapping the fact that being on a good crew and being part of this industry is a lot like being in the military or being a, you know, something like that, because you're going to face adversity. You're going to face long hours. You're going to face bad weather. You're going to face horrible people, you know, just terrible people. Sometimes Uh, you're going to face all kinds of adversity and the people that make it in this industry are those that can just get up and keep doing the work and make sure it happens and don't complain, you know, no complaining about it. No, whatever. It's funny how, like I said, I come from the old days. I come from the old school that my mentors, the people that taught me how to do this stuff were the grumpy sound guys from the meme, you know, literally those guys, they like ponytails. They were like for real. Those guys, You'd be working with a guy all day and then all of a sudden you or him or somebody, you might snap and just yell and scream and cuss for a few minutes and then it's over and everybody gets back to work. It's just one of the pressures of this industry. Sometimes you have to have that blow off valve. Sometimes that blow, it it just happens and you can't be the type of person to take it personally and say, oh, you know, I... I hate that guy. He's, he's always yelling or what? He's not always yelling. He just, he reached his point and you're going to reach your point at some, some point in time. And thankfully that kind of stuff happens a lot less now because honestly, there's a lot less work to do. The, you know, LED lighting is a huge time saver. Uh, digital consoles, massive time saver you, and just everything in general. Instead of a snake that's a two inch around hose of copper that's 300 feet long that you've got to run from the stage to front of house through the mud, that doesn't happen anymore. It's a couple of cat five cables, cat six cables, whatever it is. I mean, everything is an order of magnitude lighter and easier and faster and more reliable. Back in the bad old days, it was tough, man. And you would be working eight, 10, 12 hours and you might pop off for a second, but then you'd, you know, you'd walk around, you'd drink a bottle of water and then you'd put your head back down and go back to work. And everybody was cool with it because they knew what was happening. If you can surround yourself with a group that is aware like that and is, it's a brotherhood, that's a good thing. If you have somebody that gets easily offended, uh, unfortunately they're not going to make it very far because sometimes you get uh, yelled at just for no reason, no good reason. <laughs> I can remember, you know, do you know who the band Slipknot is? I do know who Slipknot is. Okay. I got yelled at by some crazy member of Slipknot at some point because I was, they were playing, I was running monitors. So I'm on the side of the stage and I'm standing there. And at some point in their show, cause I'd never, never seen them before, never worked with them before. At some point in their show, they just all run off the edge of the stage and I get yelled at because I'm standing in the way, right? Well, he's caught up in the moment 
and I'm just standing there watching the stage, making sure I'm doing my job, make, trying to make sure everybody is good with their monitors. You know, he didn't mean it. He was just like, you know, get out of the way, you know, get the F out of the way, whatever. It's like, it's like seriously, I didn't know what was about to happen. So I'm just standing there in the way. He yells to get me out of the way. I move. Everything's fine. After the show, no worries, no problems, not an issue. It's just one of those things that in the heat of the moment, it happens. And you can't get offended by that. I don't think that guy's mean or uh, an asshole or anything else because that happened. I completely understand why it happened in the way that it happened. There was another issue with this band. God, I wish I could remember this guy's name. He goes by the name of the guy now and not the the replacements. Is that the name of the band? It's the it's the band that did the uh, King of the Hill thing. I don't watch King yeah. of the Hill. Yeah. Oh, well, you're missing out then. You I should. promise you I'm not. Oh, no. Hank Hill's the bummer. Um, he's the best. Anyways. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll crack that up to the things that we just graciously disagree on. <laughs> <laughs> that band is incredible. The band that it's pretty sure it's the replacements. And Tim's going to make me Google. <laughs> I got yelled at by that guy at a, at a gig one time too, because we were providing PA, but we were also providing backline, which means the guitar amps and drums and keyboards and all the stuff that they might need. The amp that we provided blew up essentially on stage. It died during the middle of the show. So I run up there with a replacement and I'm about to switch it out. And he's like, he's trying to perform his set. And the amp died and he's screaming and yelling and everything else. Completely understand all that. I replace the amp, plug him back in, get him going. He's rocking again. I will say at the end of the show, he came up and apologized. He was like, I'm so sorry. I was just, you know, uh, I, I didn't know what to do because the amp died. And like, I'm in the middle of the show. I'm trying to entertain these people. And I'm like, dude, no worries at all absolutely no worries the refreshments by the way the refreshments that's right the refreshments whoever the singer guitar player of the refreshments is that's who yelled at you that's who yeah that's who yelled at me and he goes by his just his name now excellent excellent band by the way it was a good show a lot of fun I forget where I was going with this. And if I forget what the actual question was in the first place. This started because I was talking about the importance of networking and <laughs> how we've all become connected is through yeah. networking and why having people who are of quality in your network matters more than the general number of people that you know, because we've been lasting in our connections because we've had quality people that we've bonded with um, both professionally. So, you know, I think that was, that was where this started from and why that matters because, you know, trash network doesn't help you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. There's a lot of people that would probably be a lot happier in a corporate environment where HR has a bunch of rules on how the manager gets to speak to the employee so that nobody gets offended you know what i mean and i guess that's where i was going with that because out here in the wild wild west nobody cares and nobody follows the hr rules and all that nobody cares about osha anything else well kind of do now but now that you know stages are getting blown over in the wind and people are dying and all that kind of stuff it's a little more it's it's a little more 
on people's mind nowadays, I guess, but it still hasn't caught up. You don't get into this industry thinking somebody else is going to take care of you. <laughs> you know, it, you're, you're out there on your own and you're, you stand on your own two feet. You know, I often think about this. I worked with a guy at A&M who might have been the happiest person I've ever known in my life. And he was a janitor and he, you know, swept floors and cleaned toilets all day. And he worked from like seven in the morning to three in the afternoon every single weekday. And he would, he, he would just grill stuff on the weekends and talk about that. And he was like, the whole highlight of his week was I got, I got me a brisket. I'm going to grill it. I'm going to do that. You know, and he was just like so excited. That dude was legitimately happy, you know, and that's, that's okay. That's great. Because he had a security in his job. He knew what he was going to do every day. And he had something fun to do on the weekend. And he loved doing it. That's fantastic. And I think a lot of people would be truly happy with that. I'm not one of those people. (laughs) Neither am I. Yeah. it's And that's the problem. You know, biblically, they say, you know, Cain slew Abel. Uh, they were brothers, Cain and Abel. And Cain killed Abel. It was the first murder in, in the Bible. For punishment, God made Cain's children. It says they have the mark of Cain, which means they were destined to wander and not have homes and to whatever. And all, all that stuff sounded bad at the time. But what really ended up happening was those people became the artists. Those people became the travelers. Those people became the you know, the not nine to five working job people, the, the gig, gig economy people. That's, that's definitely me. It's definitely me. I'm much happier when I'm not working a schedule. I'm terrible with schedules, terrible with it, which Tangela could attest to because I probably asked her like 50 times when, how am I supposed to do this thing? And when does it happen? And are, is it really today? And you all did. That? He did. It was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or the number of times where you've called me and been like, uh, I couldn't make it. Can you go for me instead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Too. Exactly. We'll go exactly. with that. <laughs> Which is why I was a very poor business person, by the way. <laughs> oh, hey, somebody says you're good it. at this. Can you go do a gig for me? Like, I mean, I guess, I mean, I wasn't planning on doing anything, I guess, today. I don't know. <laughs> Although, I'm not going to lie, there's been times where you've asked me to do a job and it paid more than the gig I had. So I super did the other gig. Yeah. Well, there you go. Because, you know, I was just like, I mean, I had things to do, but more money. <laughs> but, you know, I just, I think the whole, that tied more back into the whole nine to five entrepreneur thing that we were talking about earlier and a little less to do with the networking thing. But I think in general, though, I think a lot of these principles are overlooked in conversations sometimes about, well, one weighing whether or not entrepreneurship and uh, nine to fivers are, which one's better for types of people that you are, where are you at in your life, your stage of life. But then also networking, I think, is so heavily pushed in a lot of ways. But nobody really talks about why it's important to have a strong network and what the definition of a strong network is. I think a lot of people that I see, they talk about networking and they talk about it in terms of like 
just hoarding a bunch of phone numbers. They're like, I got to hoard phone numbers. I got to hoard phone numbers. I met this person three years ago and they probably don't remember me, but I'm going to call them. And you're like, yo, how is that helpful? How is that really? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I don't call people that I haven't talked to in years or months or anything like that. But if they don't remember you, then are they really a part of your network? Are they really a part of the system that's supposed to be helping support you and that you're supposed to be helping to support? Yeah, I'd say no. Memorable moments, you know? And back in back in the day before everybody had smartphones, we all had flip phones or, or the Nokia brick, you know? People were big on business cards. You'd, you'd get handed four or five business cards a night at a gig. I would, I remember people just walking up to me, Hey man, I do sound, hand me a business card and then walk away. And that was it. That was their idea of networking. That tells me nothing. It tells me nothing. And you can better believe I just threw those business cards away because like, A, you didn't take the time to come up and hang out and prove to me that you know what you're doing. Not that I need you to know everything, but like, at least tell me, you know, something, well, at least let me know that you're kind of have one foot in the door of, because if you're handing me a business card, if you're networking, presumably you want me to help you get work. And if I need, if I'm going to try to recommend you, then I don't, you know, if I don't know anything about you, how can I recommend you? So there's that. And, and on the flip side of the coin, I don't need you to know everything there is to know, because there may be one job with a band that's just starting out that you might be better for or there may be a very established band that needs an a guy that you know if i don't know anything about you i don't want to recommend you to the wrong place you know so that's not networking just kind of hoarding phone numbers or making 30 second contact with somebody it's not networking it's like speed dating you don't you you, you know it's what it is and in modern times it's not following people on social media and commenting occasionally on the yeah. that yeah, is totally. not networking either in more more up-to-date terms <laughs> sorry what were you about to say networking in this regard i started working when i left a and i left a and i worked from a and from uh 2000 to 2008 that's a big big university this a and is unique in the fact that it has a full-time production staff on campus. So we did all everything from, from football games down to groundbreaking ceremonies to actual putting, putting on concerts here and there. We did everything. I left A&M in 2008 and started gigging again at this outdoor place for 75 bucks a night. One of the very first gigs that I did there was just a guy with an acoustic was Kyle Park, who I ended up touring with for like four years. A few few years later, I went on the road with Kyle for like four years. I just hung out like I, this was a small bar and grill outdoors. And um, he he sound checked and we hung out and we got a beer and a sandwich together and sat down and ate and all that and just talked and that was that was good networking at that time because a he had already sound checked with me so he knew you know sound check wasn't a train wreck so he knew that at least i knew that much we sat down and had a friendly conversation over a dinner basically before he 
performed. While he was performing, I was paying attention. I was attentive. Like if he needed monitor changes or whatever, I was there paying attention. And then like, it was like a few years later when I decided to kind of get out of my own business and go on the road with bands. I was at another gig with Kyle at a, and it was a full band gig this time. And the front of house guy that he happened to be using at the time was really struggling with, the, with everything. He was just struggling, you know, nice guy. Everybody liked him, but he technically, he didn't really have the chops. Partly it was because he was just trying to mix way too loud like it was a rock show. So there was a lot of feedback. There was a lot of stuff. He actually blew up one of my drivers that night, you know, just stuff. Yeah. I mean, he was just, he was just too much, you know, like rain it in a little, bud. I saw that he was struggling. I saw that there was some friction between Kyle and the front of house guy and the, the road manager and everything else. And I just went up to the road manager and said, Hey bud, if, um, you know, don't want to like impose or anything, but if you're looking for uh looking for an engineer, I'm ready to go out on the road. And like literally the next day they started, they called me because I had a couple of years earlier, I had sat down to dinner with uh, the acoustic guy playing at a 75 buck a night gig. And we just had a friendly conversation and I was attentive and, you know, good enough that night that a couple of years later he remembered who I was and I put it out there that I was looking for a road gig and they called and, you know, then that kicked off a, you know, like a four year trip with them. I had done some, some limited road gigs before that uh, with other bands, like it might be two weekends here. It might be six weeks there whatever. Sometimes it was following a band with a PA, it was, you know, that kind of sort of thing. But uh, this was, kind of my first real legit get on the bus and leave for the weekend gig. And it all happened due to networking, essentially. That's it. And being, I won't say being good at my job, just being adequate at my job. I didn't like sit down and get drunk and like ignore the guy on stage the rest of the night. That happens a lot, especially in the $75 a night gigs, whatever happens a lot. And those guys tend to stay where they're at at 75 bucks a night. And they're mad about it because they're like, I'm better than that guy over there. And I'm like, well, maybe you mix better if you would sit down and concentrate on mixing. But like you do the sound check and then you put the band on stage and then you walk away and go drink. You know, that's not being a better mix engineer at all. It's only doing half your job because half, you know, the band's still on stage playing and you're not anywhere around. Networking. Uh, Yeah. Don't just drop your name in a hat and expect to get calls hang out. It's goes back to how do you get a job in this industry? Be a good hang and show up. That's it. Be there. Be there where the stuff happens. If that means uh, $75 a night gig, you know, maybe you have to take it. I did at the time. I left A&M because I started at a pay rate. Like I was married, but we had, we were renting a place and we had no kids. And I started at a pay rate and then we had two kids and we bought a house and inflation for eight years. And when I left there, I was only making like a dollar an hour more than when I started in eight years. And that's the sad fact of A&M's a government job. Uh, it's a real sad fact in, in that 
at a government job, oftentimes the only way to get a promotion is if somebody ahead of you retires or dies. You know, some spot has to be vacated before you can move up and get a little more money. And it just wasn't like at the end of it, I was just struggling to, you know, we were, we were in debt and struggling to pay bills and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I, I, this is untenable. I can't do it anymore. And I was working tons of hours, absolute tons of hours. And so I quit and it was in, I remember because it was in August. It was in the August in Texas is kind of a dead season because it's so hot. Nobody wants to play. And I ended up like the only gig that was out there. There were no more festival. All the festival work was done. Uh, nothing was happening on the, uh, the big dog stages. So I ended up taking a, like a $75 a night club gig doing acoustic acts. And it's what was available at the time. Little did I know that just in a couple, three short years, I'd be on the road traveling the country with one of those acts that I, one of the very first acts that I did at that club. So yeah, it's fun. You know? <laughs> Life is fun. I will give it that. Yeah. So with that high note of a story, <laughs> I have one last question for you and then we'll wrap it up. I say as I'm like. This is going to have to be a 10-part interview with as rambly as I get. 10-part interview. Lies. <laughs> I'll I'll find. I'll We'll find a way. It'll be fine. Because yeah. I always find a way. Okay. I'm crafty like that. With that being said, Tim. Yeah. What does XLR stand for? <laughs> did I ask you this question once? <laughs> you did ask me this question. I don't know. No? I, I truly don't know. And oh, I know something Tim doesn't know. Yeah, do you? Are you yeah, sure? I'm positive. Okay. Extra long run, maybe? That's the only thing I can think <laughs> of. Um, no, it stands for external line return. External line return? Okay. I'm yeah. glad. There you go. We had this debate many years ago. What does XLR mean? And nobody in the office at A&M could say for with any certainty what XLR actually meant. And we went to so far as to call Switchcraft like their customer service number and they couldn't tell us what it actually meant either. So, ah, yeah, I see the doubt on your face now. <laughs> no, no, I feel so confident that that's the answer. Okay. I can't believe that nobody knows that. Like nobody, nobody knew knows that. Yeah. Do people not know? I, I remember we, you asked me this question once and I was like, what the hell? And then I was like, what does it stand for? And then I was like, I don't freaking know. And so I remember after that, I went and like Googled it and found it. And so then I was like, oh yeah, it's like a thing. And so then I was like, well, do you really not know? Or was this supposed to be like a joke on me sort of situation? And oh. so then I was like, now nah, I got to ask Tim. Tim, what does it stand for? I believe you. External line return. That's, that's the answer I'm going to use from now on. It sounds good. Even if yeah. it's not. It sounds like it should be. I've heard two or three different, I've heard two or three different meanings assigned to XLR. And some of them actually are like, it doesn't, it's just like an internal designation, kind of like a type F connector, or BNC connect, whatever, you know, like F connector for like antennas, radio stuff is just labeled an F connector. I don't think it actually, I don't think F stands for anything. So I've heard some people say XLR is that kind of a thing, uh, an internal designation for that Switchcraft made when they invented it. I've heard some people say extra long run because a balanced signal can be run for miles without, you know, significant degradation or noise. It was kind of the game changer for us in audio. It's one of the biggest 
like uh, one of the, one of the biggest inventions that means we can do what we do now so easily uh, versus the old days. Yeah, I've heard I've heard two or three different explanations. Uh, it's probably the first time I've heard external line return. Hi, man. If you if you type it in, that's okay, what I tell you. Okay, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll trust your googling skills. I look. I am great at nothing else if I can't Google. <laughs> I'm really good with Google. That's the best that I got. Right. <laughs> no, I don't. I may have other skills, but Googling's definitely at the top of them. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know. That's the one. That's the definition that I found. So my, uh, with it. my like Nokia brick phone doesn't have Google. It only has snake. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you upgraded to an iPhone though. I do. I have it. Uh, upgrade is a strong choice of words. I have an iPhone six right now. I mean, I mean, like, <laughs> And, and I just, I've had it for years and I just cracked the screen to the point where I guess I got to upgrade to something Or just else. get a new screen. Well, the, the camera's also busted on it. So I'm like, oh, if I fix the screen and the camera, it's the cost of buying like an iPhone 8. So I'll, I'll upgrade to something that's only like two years old now or three or four years old. When, when did the 8 come out? You know, it's really funny because I was thinking about that the other day, but. Put that in the comments. Which one should we upgrade to, people? Should it be the iPhone 8 or should it be the iPhone? What after I didn't they have like an iPhone 10, but it wasn't an iPhone 10. They called it iPhone something the else. X. Yeah. Yeah. There's an iPhone X and there's different flavors of the X. And now they're, I think they're up to the 12 or 13. I don't know what, whatever it is. I can tell you one of the reasons why I've stuck with the six, other than the fact that it just plain works. It has a headphone jack on it. I mean, come on, Apple. Look, Apple, if you're listening. I'm using a MacBook Pro right now from 2017, and I absolutely hate the thing because there is nothing on it but USB-C ports or your Thunderbolt ports, okay? I'm a professional working in an industry that has everything from, you know, I need network connectivity, I need USB jacks, I need headphone jacks, I need all kinds of stuff. Nothing that I work with on a daily basis has a USB-C jack on it. Nothing. Which means, what does that mean? I have to have a dongle to do anything. I have one USB device plugged into my computer right now. Guess what? Have to have a dongle. Because why? Apple's being stupid and taking our money trying to sell us dongles. And I'm not I'm not using an Apple dongle. It doesn't make you any extra money, Apple, with your fancy computers. And I'm yeah. Uh, it drives me crazy. And the computer just sucks in general. Like it's not years ago. I had the original titanium 12 inch power book. That thing was an absolute tank. It was awesome. And I took it everywhere. And even years after it was past its prime, I was using it and it got stolen out of my car one day at a gig. I was on a gig. In Corpus Christi at a very rich person's house, a millionaire's house, in a multi-million dollar house, the band of horses was actually the band playing at this house, and I was doing a little PA for them, and um, my truck was parked on the street in front of this multi-million dollar house and got broken into, and they stole my 12-inch titanium power book and all my clothes, like my dirty underwear and stuff. They stole that, so yeah, fun times. Thanks, Corpus Christi. But yeah, no, uh, this this new MacBook Pro nonsense is ridiculous. I hear they're putting actual ports on the newest ones, 
but mine's from 2017 and it only has USB-C and I hate it. There you go. Little little mini rant about how Apple is uh, scamming us all, I guess. <laughs> True. And I'll say, uh, I will say this though, uh, here, uh, here's something useful for your listeners. Okay. The software side of things in the audio industry is extremely lacking. If you have the inclination, or if you've gone to school for computer computer sciences uh, and that kind of stuff, it it would it would be lovely to see people put more thought and effort into the software side of things for pro audio. We're just now, just now, getting Mac compatibility on most things. Up until now, I've actually. I'm a Mac person, but I've had to own a PC for my gig PC because nearly everything that I had to interface with was PC only. And now it's just now getting to the point where it feels like you can not have a PC and use a Mac as your gig computer. Having said that, most of the software side of things, like whether that's a control app for a console or it's a control app for a DSP or, you know, just whatever it is, most of that stuff is kind of really bad uh, from a design and a functional standpoint. If you want to get into this industry in such a way, maybe you don't want to gig until two or three o'clock in the morning every night and, you know, come home with the smell of stale beer and uh, cigarette smoke and all that. Cigarette smoke's not a big deal anymore, but uh, it was a big deal back in the day. Or just, you know, stinking and sweaty and hot and gross and, you know, having to sleep late in the morning because you stayed up all night. The s- getting into the computer and software and app side of things for pro audio, I I feel like there's going to be a big, I, I feel like there's already a big uh, need for that in the audio world. I have a couple ideas for apps right now that uh, are needed, but you know, I don't know how to make an app. I I have an iPhone six for goodness sake. I, I wish I did know how to make an app because there's a, there's a few things out there that could be really improved uh, with a few simple apps. And I, I just want, I, I wish Soundcraft is particularly bad in this area. Any, any of Soundcraft's outboard stuff, their apps, their computer control stuff, it's, terrible soundcraft get your game together because it's it's truly unusable uh in a professional setting unusable i i spent the summer mixing the uh, brazos valley symphony orchestra and most of the hardware that i got to mix on was soundcraft stuff cannot use the apps it connection issues you think it's connected and you're doing stuff and it's not really connected so it's not actually controlling anything you can't hook up two devices at once to the same thing. So I can't have an iPad and a laptop and come on, that's basic. You know, it just, it's just awful. Sound, Soundcraft is, is way, way, way far behind in their digital and, and software game versus most of the, even Behringer came in and had Behringer came in, had a reasonably priced product that was, it was uh, reliable, didn't die all the time, sounded okay, wasn't great, sounded okay. But the software side of the game killed it. 
it works and you can hook up 10 iPhones to it at once so that the whole band can have monitors control. You could have two iPads at front of house or you could have an iPad and a laptop at front of house. When I was touring, that's what I did. We had a, we had an X32. I did a laptop and an iPad for front of house. I didn't carry a, a mixer out there. I had the iPad. I always had my DCA faders on it so that I could chase solos all the time. And I did everything on the channel level on the laptop. So I had mouse control. Uh, I could grab, you know, I could just go down into a channel, grab the EQ knobs, move it with a mouse and still have my left hand on my DCAs all the time so that I didn't have to like be flipping back and forth between screens. That's why people want two devices or more at front of house Soundcraft, if you're listening. <laughs> I know Soundcraft listens to your podcast. So that's why I'm saying this. No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can say it, but you should, I mean, you, you put it out there in the world, girl. It's gonna Soundcraft is listening to my podcast. Yeah. Soundcraft listening to your podcast. You know, if they are, let me know. Okay, yeah, we right? can talk about that. Okay, sponsors. You know, I can, I can tell helpful. you. Yeah, right. Okay, because let me tell you, this podcast production stuff is not cheap. Okay? Uh, yeah, I know. I wish Soundcraft would get their crap together because I love their, I love their hardware. Um, Soundcraft fanboy. I can tell. Sort of. <laughs> and they sound fantastic. They have a good idea. The idea of the user interfaces they have is good. It's just implemented very poorly. And the fact that also the software side, the remote control side of things is implemented so poorly that it's unusable. It, it makes it, for me, it makes it a non, I'm not going to use them. Like they're a non-contender. Unless I absolutely have to, like on the Brazos Valley uh, Symphony stuff, I had to because that's what's provided. Unless I, if I have a choice, it's not going to be. It's going to be Behringer over Soundcraft every day. And we're not talking about the SI Compact stuff. I'm talking about VI consoles. Is what I had access to. I was using a VI one or a VI three thousand or a, you know the bigger boy consoles. You know, not the biggest, but good sized consoles. I would take a Behringer or a Midas X32 platform over a VI3000 every day of the week because the user interface is better on the Behringer. And getting back to what we said at the top of the show, and this is mixing symphony, and the, the guy, the conductor of the symphony comes out front and he listens to what I'm doing and he's like, yeah, that's great. That sounds great. I love what you're doing. I'm not going for ultimate, ultimate audio file fidelity here. So if I switch out a VI3000, which is a great sounding desk, to a Behringer X32, which is a mediocre sounding desk, it doesn't matter. Because even the guy that's conducting the symphony that's playing on stage couldn't tell the difference. And that's not to say he's bad. He's not bad. He's in, He has an incredibly good set of ears. And I've noticed, like, he can tell when I move an EQ one dB. He can tell every time, and I, it's not—it's not phantom. He's not watching me do it. He's asking me to take this or that out of a violin, and I do it. And he's like, "Right there, stop." You know, he's not one of these people that looks at you thinking you're moving the fader when you're not. And he's like, you know, because that happens all the time with musicians. They'll say, "Hey, man, can you take a little high mids out of this?" And you. They're like, oh, that's it right there. And you haven't even reached the page where you get to the EQ yet. <laughs> like that happens all the time. Not with him. He's never done that to me once. He can, he can hear it. 
he has an exceptional pair of ears and he's completely satisfied with me mixing on a Behringer, you know, because ultimately we're not talking about a, uh, a prepared studio room with all the sound deadening and absorption and, and diffusion and everything else. And we're, we're not talking about playing in a room that's had 20 grand spent on it to make it a perfect acoustic space. We're playing in the church. We're playing in a, an event center. We're playing outdoors. Sometimes they did a lot of uh, live streams over this past year, which is where I got involved. I was mixing the live stream for them. And I would also send a feed to the house. So like my I'm primarily mixing for stream and my secondary feed is to the house. He couldn't tell because I had a variety of consoles. I had everything from the, the, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the little UI soundcraft, the little headless, it's in a box soundcraft. I had one of those once. I've had an X32 or M32. I've had VI1s, VI3000s, or SI compacts or whatever. I had a variety of different hardware. For me personally, as the mixer, I would take the Behringer over any of them because the UI is so much better. He couldn't tell one console from the other but he could tell when i took a db and a half of 1k out of the violins so he is exceptional set of ears that's why i'm telling people ultimate highest quality of whatever you're trying to chase doesn't always matter doesn't really matter at all good enough is good enough get there learn how to get there learn how to get to good enough really quickly and do it on a consistent basis. And then you can spend the rest of the night tweaking out to get it as high fidelity as you want or as you can handle. Just be aware that sometimes the best thing you can do is step back and take your hands off the console. You can tweak yourself into a hole. And unfortunately, you, the only way to know how to do that or how to not do that is just experience. And I'm, I still do it myself. I, I'm still guilty of it. I still tweak myself into a hole sometimes. Sometimes I have to just stop and A-B what I did versus like no EQ on that channel. And I'm like, oh yeah, this sounds like trash. I'm just going to flatten the EQ and start over, you know? Still guilty of it. So good enough is good enough, folks. And on those famous last words, <laughs> Tim, thank you so much for being on my podcast. No worries. Really appreciate it. You had a Loved lot to it. say and I love it. I do. I'm talking. Nobody talks to the guy in the dark in the back pressing buttons. So lies. I talk to you all the time. <laughs> all right, chickadees. That's the end of this episode. I hope you got something out of it. Hope you enjoyed. In the meantime, head on over to beatsinabottle.com so you can sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on all things Let's Talk Audio and, well, me. Also, for those of you who do not know, we do have a Discord server. So message me so I can send you the link so we can continue the conversation over there. In the meantime, let's keep talking about audio.